Yo, I put it like wow, this that sound These oaks don't work hard like me, I hope they know by now Bam, bam, stand my ground Throw these money trees, go overseas like Percy Tau I make sure you stay around, quiet when I'm under loud No negatives allowed, me positivity took a vow I always play to win, don't anticipate loss Mind always in the clown, my boy Never think about the drop, never ever ever think about the drop Welcome to it, sports fans. It is the MKT Show. It is the MKT Show. Good to be here. Good day today. It is a good day today. Uh, we're going to talk Mason Mount, Kylian Mbappe, uh, and then I'll do some mailbag questions. I have two two questions there. One rugby, uh, one more slightly existential, uh, which I which I didn't think about. Uh, I'll just answer it on the fly. It's a very, very interesting question. So we'll get to that. Um, and let's see what else we get into. Um, hope you're having the time of your lives. Um, if you listen to this live, it will be on a Thursday. I'm recording this on Wednesday night um, in South Africa. South Africa. Uh, if you're an NBA fan, it's all going off there. Damn Lillard, where is he going to go? Um, super interesting time. Um, but to be honest, I'm just waiting for the NFL now. Um, it's been too long. I think it's two months till the NFL. Feels like forever. 64 days until the NFL for real, real begins. My God, do I love that league. It's not the Premier League. Premier League's king, but my God, is the NFL close. It is a close second. All right. Um, before we get into the show. Show, show, show. Um, oh, yes. So... If you're not living in South Africa um, and you haven't heard of Gareth Cliff, he's a person who I used to work for. Good guy. Great guy, in fact. And so I did a little cameo on his show this week and got a few DMs. It was a nice, good response. Um, always had good chemistry with Gareth and it, it, it was very nice to be back with him. But I am not back on Cliff Central. I am not going back to Cliff Central just to address that, nip it in the bud, can be pretty confusing. Um, I might I might go back on one or two shows in the future, but no, um, I'm not going back. For those people wondering, people saying, oh, you're back. I'm not back. I am not back. I am not going back to Cliff Central. Um, yeah. And, and also, just to address it, some people may listen to this because they saw me on Cliff Central. Myself and Gareth are golden. A, lo a lot of people... Or I say a lot of people. People DM'd me and I saw some comments uh, in the past saying, oh, did something happen? But after I left for America, I was always clear that I was leaving Cliff Central then as well. So, um, yeah. So there's no problems with me and Gareth. We're still golden. I think he's the best in Africa, certainly of this generation and currently um, as a broadcast host, especially in that interlocutor space um, with social commentary. I think he's the best. He is the best. He's, he's the best thinker. He's the he's the most cultured. He's the most um, articulate. Um, you know, most other people now, because of where we are as society, are just basically making noise between adverts, right? Uh, uh, that was bing bong ding dong. Now 
It is Ding Dong Bing Bong at number 43. After the break, that's all they're doing. You know, nobody, nobody's evocative. Nobody probes uh, thinking. Nobody tests um, what people are saying anymore. Nobody tests the veracity of good ideas. And Gareth is the last, he's the last bastion for me in South Africa. Um, you know, largely speaking, I don't know what it's like around the world because I just refuse to listen to the radio now when I travel. But they are generally employing people that are going to support a liberal agenda. And I'd like to think I'm very left wing, but I listen to some of the nonsense, absolute utter tosh of uh, confirmation bias and low level thinking that goes on. Um, and I just can't do it. I just cannot do it. Um, and I'm not willing to do it, to be completely honest with you. So great to be back with Gareth Cliff. It was amazing, but I am not back on Cliff Central. There we go. Address that one. Let's get into the show. Um, listen, you know, you probably promised one of your workmates you'll finish the pitch deck at home. You'll finish the report at home. And then you didn't do it. You thought, okay, you know what? I'll wake up at 4.30, 5 o'clock before I go to work and I'll just, I'll crunch the numbers and I'll have the report ready for work. You overslept, 6.30, and now you haven't done it. And the presentations at 9, you were going to look at it with your two workmates. Now you haven't done your part. Oh my goodness, you're this guy. Oh my goodness, you're this girl. Terrible human. You know what will make me feel better? Go and give this show a five-star rating. Pop onto Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Leave a review. You know, if you're feeling bad about yourself. I, I just give real-life examples that I know are happening out there. I, I give real life. This is real life, people. This is real life. This is how things happen. Otherwise, slide in the DMs at MKT Inspires, MKT at the MKT Show. If you've got a question for the mailbag, happy to answer it, happy to explore it. If I don't know the answer, um, I'll have an opinion anyway, because I'm a loud mouth. Because I am a loud mouth. All right, let's get into it. Um, well, the ashes tomorrow. Um, when you're listening to this, doesn't matter. Tomorrow is the beginning of the third test in the Ashes. Um, James Addison has been dropped. I don't know why he was in the team to begin with. My thing with Anderson has always been this. You, you know, people get sensitive when you say longevity awards don't make you great. I will always say longevity is great as a cherry on top if you are great in that longevity. I'll give you an example. Alex Ferguson doesn't get longevity awards. He was competitive the whole time. So he evolved when Wenger came. He evolved when Jose came, you know. He evolved when Man City's money came and continued to win over sort of 30 years. So it wasn't like, okay, he's Roy Hodgson or Sam Allardyce, who's just around for a long time. And just because he's around for a long time, we must say he's great. Now, now longevity has its awards and rewards. But if you want to separate yourself as great is you've got to be competitive over those uh, 30, 10, 20 years or whatever it may be. Right. And Alex Ferguson isn't a longevity award guy. You know, um, Roy Hodgson is longevity award. Right? Not exactly a winning manager. Uh, Arsene Wenger 
he's that's a tricky one. Maybe that's a different conversation. Jose Mourinho, you're not giving him longevity awards. He's been winning over 15 years. Pep Guardiola winning over a decade. You know, these guys aren't going to get longevity awards. They are genuinely competitive in every era and have evolved. James Anderson's been mediocre his whole career. He's just good in England. I'm sorry, you can't average 28 with the new ball where largely you're bowling in England, where it's hooping around corners and you're bowling with the Duke ball. So he was mediocre, right? At his peak, he was middle of the of the road. Now he's old. Of course he's going to fall off because now he's not bowling that heavy ball and he's three, four kilometers slower when he was already a medium pacer, right? So his big thing was 133, 134, and it's swinging. Now he's 126, 127. It's kind of what happened to Sean Pollock. Now, Sean Pollock's a completely different echelon of bowler, way better bowler. But James Anderson was mediocre at his peak. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not shy to say it. Just because he's got all these wickets, it doesn't make him great. I mean, if you play that many tests, and congratulations to him for staying fit, what he is is a very good bowler, a good bowler. Right, he he is a very good bowler. Let, let's not let's not be dramatic and ridiculous. But he's not Courtney Walsh, Kirtley Ambrose, Wasim Akram, Waka Yunus, Dale Stain, Shane Warne, Glenn McGrath, Jason Gillespie, Brett Lee, you, you know Malcolm Marshall. Like that's creme de la creme. Sean Pollock. I mean, you're starting to talk about guys that are averaging below twenty three. Um, and below 25, right? And now you're talking about the creme de la creme. And he's not that. He never has been that. I don't understand the obsession with him. Right? And I'm sorry, I'm not giving longevity awards. It's essentially going, Wes Brown has more titles than Nemanja Vidic, so he's a better player. That's not how it works. It's one of the problems with today's age where so much data is available. And a lot of these kids play FIFA now. So they start to justify things with oh, well, he had more goals and more assists. That doesn't tell you the whole picture if you've watched cricket your whole life. It's very, very clear that James Anderson shouldn't be mentioned in the same conversation as Dale Stain, right? And you can't have levels of greatness. Either you're great or you're not, and he's not great. What he is is very, very good. And when very good loses a little bit, it just becomes good, which is not good enough for test level. It's what you're seeing with James Anderson now. And he should never have been picked for this anyway. He's been, he fell off two years ago. I think Stuart Braw's mediocre as well. And if you don't believe me, just t- take 20 minutes to go and look at Crick Info, right? Go and look at, I did a report the other day, I think on the podcast, but go and look at the top 20 fast bowlers, right? And just take the ones with, let's say, above 400 wickets, right? And if you if cricket's a bit new for you or... You're a casual consumer. What is important for fast bowlers in particular, it's not so important with spinners because spinners, generally speaking, are only in cricket matches for one innings, right? And of one inning, which is the fourth inning, generally, or the second inning of the other team because the pitches only really turn and less and less in modern day cricket. But pitches only really turn three and a half days onwards. So an average isn't that important for a spinner. 
I, I would more look at strike rate for spinners um, than average. But but strike rate and average are less important actually for spinners, um, especially with the way things have gone. But just go and look at the averages of the guys with above 400 wickets. Anybody with below a 25 average is special. Anybody with below a 24 average is the creme de la creme. Anybody below 23 is outrageous. Like, the, the, that shouldn't happen. Uh, if you don't know how it works, the average for bowlers is how many runs you concede per wicket that you take in test cricket. And that's really, really important, right? And um, because it's a pressure game and blah, blah, blah. But the other one is strike rate. And the strike rate is how many deliveries it takes you to take a wicket. So if somebody's average or strike rate is 55, it means every 55 balls they are taking a wicket, just so you know. So a hybrid of average and strike rate generally uh, takes you to the where, where they are, but it's a little bit more complicated than that because test cricket is also a pressure game. Um, so you might not take that many wickets, but if you're Glenn McGrath, and he, I mean, he's a unique example, is you're creating such immense pressure because you're so accurate uh, that everybody else can take wickets around you. If you're Shane Warne, uh, you know, you're, you're creating so much pressure because you're so accurate, you're, you're so mentally intimidating uh, that it allows Brett Lee and Glenn McGraw and Jason Gillespie to take wickets. So, so that's how it works. If you're Sean Pollock, uh, you're so accurate um, that you're allowing other guys, Alan Donald, to take wickets and, and guys like that. By the way, there's another one, Alan Donald. James Anderson, not at that level. Um, go look at the numbers. So, right decision. Um, but ultimately, England are going to lose and they're going to lose badly. I think they brought Wokes in. It, it doesn't matter at this stage. I mean, as I've said, you can't have your middle order just be Joe Root. And again, I am not impressed by Stokes. Like, you know, once every three years he does this. I watched Ricky Ponting and Damian Martin and Matthew Hayden and these guys, and Jacques Callas, right, play these types of innings. They're not as spectacular, but they had two or three per season. Stokes does this once every 40 innings. And if you don't believe me, go and look. It's just that we have YouTube now, so it feels with Stokes like it's all the time, and it's hyped, and it's exciting. But he's not that consistent. And in Test Cricket, the nice thing about Test Cricket, all these other formats can lie to you, Right? But in Test cricket, it's nice because you can see who wins series for people. Now, Joe Root, he's a proper player. Because I can I know with that guy, I'm gonna get 60-70% consistency where he's gonna average that 50 number. Stokes bats five, he doesn't do anything else. He doesn't bowl anymore, and he's not a very good bowler anyway. He averages like 32 with the ball, which is terrible, by the way. It's like Jacques Cullis. Um worse than Cullis, actually. And he's got a 35 batting average. And people people have tried to justify Stokes as a big game player. I'm like, no, he's a moment player every 40 innings. And he's exciting. So it feels like he's great. He's not great. Stop saying that. He's not consistent in test cricket. He's, he just isn't. And the way I know that is that he's... By the way, it's been a long, long time now, right? Where he's been batting five and really doing nothing else and not bowling. And he still averages 35 with the bat. Like, let me tell you what averaging 35 in test cricket means. You should be, that should be your wicket keeper. So, again, if you don't watch cricket, 
your wicketkeeper bat seven. Your number seven batsman should be averaging between 32 and 35 as a, as a wicketkeeping all-rounder. So they call wicketkeepers all-rounders if they can bat. So your wicketkeeper should be averaging 35 at test level. I'm sorry, that's what it should be. So I, I don't get the Ben Stokes thing. I don't take him very seriously as a middle-order batsman. And people will say, I'm crazy. But if they just calm down and go and look at the numbers and... The nice thing about Crick Info is you can actually look at all of his innings, right? And it's important to see when these big innings come. By the way, he's only got like 12 centuries. Like that's just not enough for me to consider you a special player. I'm sorry. He's not a special player. What he is is a very, very exciting player and he creates exciting moments. And we see it now in the modern era on YouTube all the time. And people, it's called recency bias. Right? Stop talking about Ben Stokes like he's some game-changing player. He's not. He's not Kevin Peterson. He is not uh, Alistair Cook. He's not Strauss. Like, and these are. I mean, I like Alistair Cook. I like Kevin Peterson. At Strauss, we're starting to get lukewarm, right? But the one guy they have, Joe Root. That's the only person in that team, right? He's the only person in the team uh, for England who gets into the Australia team. Stokes, maybe, because Cam Green's also not great. Maybe I'd put Stokes in there, but Cam Green's a better bowler. So, and even then, Cam Green's not a great bowler, by the way. So, I I don't really know. And Cam Green is an incredible fielder. Incredible fielder. Um, And Stokes is a very good fielder himself. He's he's super athletic. But I've got Cam Green in the slip court. Are you kidding me? I'm not not replacing uh, him with Stokes. So, I just... I don't get it. I don't. Get, I really don't understand the Stokes thing, and it's. I, and I've. I have people who I know love cricket. I'm like, what is the Stokes thing? You, you know, just let your excitement go away for a moment. Just go and look at his average, right? I, somebody said a brilliant thing to me years ago, um, was that, and it, and it applies to life as well. Is in sales, right? Let, let, let's just use sales. This is why averages are important. Nobody is their best year in life. Nobody is their worst year in life. That's not how you analyze things, right? Take the rest of the body of work and that's what you are. So don't take your best, don't take your worst because that's not what people are. People are the median, their average behavior. And the average behavior will tell you Ben Stokes is 32 to 35 runs, which is hysterical if you want to call him a great player. Mental. Anyway, the Ashes is over. They're going to they're gonna lose badly. Although the weather's not looking great, I still think Australia are going to be so aggressive in this test, especially if they bat first. Do not let Australia bat first um, at Leeds because if they do that, they're going to bat, I think they're going to knuckle down, bat once, bat for two days, and then it's going to be sort of three stormy days, right? And the weather's not looking great, which is good and bad, by the way. Australia's bowling is absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. They're going to bring Scotty Bowlin back, man. Probably right. The, 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 I would rest Hazelwood, uh, bring Scotty Bowlin back, um, and then it's and then they're going to pick that nerd as the spinner, right? I forget what his name is. Todd, whatever his name is. He's good. I remember, he took the six for in India. I mean, if if you're going to be a spinner and take six. Against India, you're a serious player. You are a serious player. So that's going to be amazing. Can't wait to watch that. That's tomorrow. 
midday South African time, CAT, 12 o'clock. That's going to be an absolute cracker. And I'm loving the whinging and the back and forth and Piers Morgan being upset and all the Brits being upset. I am loving it. Tell you what I'm loving. One guy that's really, really starting to shine through as a leader is Cummins, right? Because one thing the British press are brilliant at is bait and then create the news headline and then write the headline and obviously make you look out to be dumb. But he's just been brilliant in the face of it all because they are, they're being chippy, right? And they're trying to trigger him and they're, they're, they're trying to, what do the youngsters say? Gaslight him. He's not having it. He's staying above it. I am, he's coming off so, so well. Pat Cummins is somebody I'm gaining so much respect for. A, a magnificent bowler, but now becoming a great leader. And, and listen, we all know this in our lives, right? Is This is when we see great mothers and fathers shine through. Leaders, uncles, whoever it may be. It may be your brother or sister. You, you know, when things go wrong in the family, I don't know, it gets revealed your father has a child on the side or whatever. A brother or an uncle or a or a a grandmother will come through and bring the family together and sort of mediate the family through the difficult times. That's when you tell leadership, by the way. Everybody can lead when it's nice and it's fun and we're winning and everyone's doing well and people are graduating. Everybody can now be at the front then. Right? It's when the ish hits the fan, that's when you see who the leaders are. Those are the people who can navigate us through troubled waters. And I thought Cummins is doing an incredible job. He's doing an incredible job. And I'm just loving it because they I think they're going to give in. I'd said 4-1. I think they're going to beat them 5-0. This Leeds test probably has the best odds of, go, of being a draw purely because of the weather. But I, I think Australia are going to put the hammer down and then absolutely hammer them. Because here's the problem for England, right? England have urgency. If this turns out to be a draw... England are out of it. It's retention for Australia. Australia retain the Ashes because, again, if you don't know, if you've won the previous Ashes and it's a draw, you retain the Ashes. So, so all of the pressure. Australia are under no pressure here. They're going to get out there, express themselves, and they're a better cricket team uh, from 1 to 11. Uh, there's only one person who'd make the Australia team from England, and and there's no pressure on them. England are under massive, massive pressure Um which they've created on themselves. But they're not a very good cricket team, to be honest with you. Harry Brook being a number four, by the way, is hysterical. Or number three, even. That's hysterical. He should be batting seven or eight. He, he's he's not serious. He ain't serious. He ain't serious, play. You, you, you got to be serious. It's going to be fun. The Ashes. Uh, test cricket is the best. I cannot stand limited overs cricket, for those who don't know. So I don't watch it. I don't know what's happening there. But I'm just so happy that Test Cricket is being talked about like this. And listen, let's be honest as well, you know. Um, if you're old like me, you have to accept that T20 is the new way. It makes sense. It's, I would imagine for television rights, you've seen now the IPL is the most um, valuable TV rights in the world. Which is insane because cricket is such a small sport. But then again, India is 2 billion people just in India, right? I understand that T20 and one-day cricket commercially are better, and I'm all for commercials, but it's not the highest level skill factor of the game. And as an old person, I need to accept, right? So I also, I'm not going to be, it's my job to be nimble. I work in digital media, and I work in media, right? I work in film, uh, 
in broadcast production and and in this in in digital media is i never want to be old guy and dismiss what's happening t20 makes sense you know young people and i'm not like I, i kind of understand a little bit on a rudimentary level how evolution works people haven't changed that much like these youngsters attention spans aren't that much shorter however they have more options which means test cricket isn't going to be for this generation because they're just used to having options right and if you don't get their attention immediately there's something else that'll buzz them you know there's a clip there's a youtube video there's mr beast there's and they can for the first time in the history of mankind is not only are there lots of options remember there's always been lots of options lots of television channels lot but i couldn't get it on my phone immediately when i want it you know kids can be at the cricket and watch a movie now when i'm on a flight i don't even care what we what terrible movies from 15 years ago that they've got i load movies on my phone you know wherever you are you'll download uh, netflix or amazon films stick them on your laptop stick them on your on your pad even us as the older generation as we get into our 30s and 40s we've got so many options we can access at our fingertips which is why i think test cricket will suffer because as with anything you know i'd love to hear if somebody works perhaps as an academic or or works in research do kids read less books now you, you know because i i also don't want to be sanctimonious but i talk to a lot of kids i come from a, a, a massively academic family and i read a lot of books I, I just love it. I, I love reading. I love, you know, it's it's why it's easy for me to be alone. I just love reading. I love books. I love, um, an ex-girlfriend used to say this to me, and I, I will always thank her. I, I mention her a lot in this podcast. Somebody mentioned how much I talk about her. Um, but she is one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. And, and she always used to say to me, learn for the knowledge, don't learn for the marks. And I didn't know what she was talking about. And my mama had said that to me as well. But she she used to say this. And you know, now I get it. It's just so great to learn stuff and to truly, to reread. I'm that guy, you know, reread, mark a page, bookmark it, come back to it, go and look it up. What does that actually mean? Come back, read it with better context. Um, do kids do less of that now? I don't accuse kids of being dumber. I think they're smarter now because young kids have better information at a younger age with the smartest human beings have ever been, right? in that academic uh, sort of information overload space children are smarter now than they've ever been stop so stop being so so biased to your own generation like uh, to be honest i hate people who are like oh these young people like young people are great man they're great they move us forward they they they're smarter than ever they know more than ever they like if they don't if you don't know something not a problem if you say something silly not a problem they google it uh they've they've got information they're so great at getting information quickly you know so but do they read less you you know and again just having information um and i I would highly recommend the paradox of choice from the the great barry schwartz if you haven't read that go and read it more information um doesn't mean you're better actually but i would argue that this generation is smarter than ever and and they are more brilliant than ever at a younger age. You, you know, the people praise Beethoven. You you look at what the the five and six year olds are doing today. It's out of this world. It's out of this world. They would spit in Beethoven's face um, for all of his supposed genius. And by the way, Beethoven did not write his first concerto at five or whatever it is. 
it's a lie. It, it was only, I think, at 19. He, he played his first one at 12, I think it was. Um, they embellish so much about the past. So, love to know. If you're in research, do young kids read more books now? Attention spans are fine. Don't worry about it. It's just that they have more options than we did in our day and age. They don't have short attention spans. They just have more options. Good, good or bad for society? That's a question for another time. But I can understand why test cricket is a challenge for them. Because you can have two hours in test cricket where seemingly nothing is happening. Right? Maybe they just need to be entertained more often because they've got TikTok. You know, you can scroll 40 reels in two minutes that are all exciting and all brilliantly produced. We didn't have that when younger. So test cricket is, now I will be sanctimonious here and say it's for refined gentlemen from my era and women from my era. You know, you know what? I've turned myself. Screw these kids. What are they now? Let's just shove them in a river and watch test cricket. Can't be having T20 cricket all the time. All right, those are my thoughts. Love to know what you think. At MKT Inspires, England, Australia, the Ashes, your thoughts. All right, let's get straight into it. Uh, Mason Mount, 60 million quid, as they say. It looks like that's what it's going to be, 55 up front and then 55 with add-ons. And they'll pay the, I say up front, it'll be installments, but it doesn't matter. It's a 60 million pound deal, which is sensational business from Chelsea's side. Absolutely crazy because he had one year left on his deal. Before I get into the Mount thing, hey, um, I've really been thinking about this and reading lots of articles and, and hearing friends who support Man United, Ch uh, Chelsea fans, people DMing me from both sides and just kind of trying to formulate my opinion. I've been thinking about this one for two or three days and I was just thinking about my own life when I look at Mason Mount and the the anger of Chelsea fans on social media. Um, and I thought this about a particular situation I had, I personally had in my life. I, I won't tell you which side it was, but one thing I realized as I get older is you, you can't make someone love you. Right? People think they can make people love them. You can't. And even the love, the term love is use, is loose, but let, let's just go with you can't make someone love you. Right? But what you really can't do, right, is you can't love someone harder to make them love you. Because some people think if people, if I'm showing them love, maybe I just need to love harder. And then it'll change their behavior or it'll keep us together or it will, you know, relationships are complicated with you. But one thing you cannot do is you cannot make someone love you. And even if you love them harder, it won't make them love you. It's one of those strange anomalies with human behavior, hey? You know what you want, and you go for it. She knows what she wants, and she comes, succumbs to it or goes for it, you know? It's just what I've learned. And I, I learned this in one particular situation a couple of years ago. You can't make someone love you, no matter what you do, Right? And subsequent to that, one thing I've learned is people that value themselves are incredibly good at moving on. Now, that's a small part of society, hey? I, I think a big part of society um, and human beings that are, are miserable is because they don't know how to move on. Like, oh, I didn't get my dream job, whatever. I, I didn't get the dream partner. 
the person I want to be friends with um, doesn't respond as often as I'd like. So people get sensitive and they get emotional about it because they have no self-worth, right? You have to have self-worth to go, oh, okay, well, if this person's moving on, I'm moving on. I'm getting hobbies. I'm looking after myself. I'm doing, you know. If, if, you're, if you value yourself, you have to be able to move on. There, there is, I'm yet to encounter somebody with high self-esteem, right, and efficacy who isn't good at moving on. Now, I, I don't have a big friendship circle or family circle. I, even in my family, I only want to speak to six or seven people. I'm very, very clear about that. They know that. If I don't want to talk to you, I do not talk to you. Um, and all of them have this efficacy of they will move on from work, from jobs, from crap. I mean, if, you, if you're in your life now, you've got a crap boss. Like move on. Learn to move on. Save for six months so that you've got money to pay rent and things like that and move on. Toxic environment, toxic workmates. Uh, maybe someone's being, I don't know, sexually weird at work. Move on. Like, move on. You, you, you have to value yourself. You're the most important person in your life. But people who value themselves now to move on. And Chelsea are brilliant at that. I would argue in the last 20 years, nobody's been better at it. Nobody has been better in England than Chelsea at just moving on. Remember when Lampard moved on and Drogba moved on and Terry moved on and people said, what will they do? And De Bruyne moved on and and Salah moved on and all these people and people said, oh my goodness, Chelsea are this and that and De Bruyne started winning titles and you know Salah started doing what he was doing and people are going, oh my goodness, look what's happening. Chelsea kept winning titles, kept won the Europa League, won the Champions League, won two titles without Mo Salah, without Kevin De Bruyne. High value. Under Roman Abramovich, what Roman Abramovich created at Chelsea was self-efficacy. We're the guys. You can be here, you cannot be here. We're the guys. And that's in the club's DNA now. People value themselves now to move on. They really do. But what I will say for Chelsea, and I am a Chelsea fan, right? Having given it some thought, they sent him to the best place possible. They sent Mason Mount to the best place possible because Man United are not Chelsea's rivals. Now you'll hear Man United fans going, we're the biggest club in this. They were the biggest club 15 years ago. No, nobody thinks Man United's the biggest club in England right now. Nobody thinks Man United are in the top three, quite frankly. And even if you do think it in your mind, the numbers are just embarrassingly against you in the last decade. Like, it's humiliating. There's only three clubs you want to be at right now. Man United are not Chelsea's rivals. People will take this just one year and make it, oh, okay, this is what it is now. Man United are largely a Europa League club now, and I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm saying that because it's true. They've spent, in the last six seasons, are people aware that Man United were in the Europa League five of those seasons? In the decade since Fergie has left, they have been in the Europa League seven times. Post Moyes. So that means, that means 70% of the time, even when they were in the Champions League with Oli, they ended up in the Europa League. So you're a Europa League club. In that time, by the way, right? in, in the time since Fergie has left, so we're talking a decade now, Chelsea have won two Premier League titles, and I'm just talking major titles here. Two Premier League titles and a Champions League. Man United have done nothing since then of any value. 
and because when we talk big trophies, I don't want to start getting into League Cups and like, okay, FA Cup's a big trophy, right? It, it is a big trophy. So, but, but I don't want to start getting to that because Chelsea have won those as well. It's just two league, two league titles and a Champions League title. United haven't been in it. It makes no sense to me for Mason Mount because Chelsea have just done brilliantly here. Is Send him to somewhere where we know they're erratic. He's going to go there and there's no chance of him being successful. Right? There's no chance that he's going to be... At the very worst that'll happen is they'll be as, as successful as us in the short term. But they're not built yet to win in the long term. It's a mess. There's a takeover coming. And if you, you, you saw how messy the takeover was at Newcastle. You saw how messy the takeover was at Chelsea. Takeovers are messy. Because one of the things that um, people do in a takeover, even at Chelsea at the beginning, one of the things that people do when they take over is they fire people. So Murta and all these guys that are here now, that's going to take two or three seasons to figure for the uh, Qataris um, to figure out, hey, who do we want around here? And in that time, it's chaos. You've seen what happened with Bully. These are smart people. These are some of the smartest business people in the entire world. So I thought Chelsea did great business. They sent him to the best place possible in order to get big money for him and not have him threaten Chelsea's ascendancy. The only place I would have been worried about as, a, as Chelsea to send him is Liverpool and Man City currently. Because in the next five years, those are the only teams we've got Newcastle on, the, on their eyes. But those are the only teams you really need to worry about. Nobody's worried about Arsenal because, listen, if Arsenal go and come second this season and Arteta gets to the quarterfinal of the Champions League, you might start to say, hmm, now that's interesting. Your first season back in the big time and you're in the mix. But there is absolutely no assurance. And this is a real thing in sport. You can go and look it up. It's largely an American term. But your sophomore year, they call it second season syndrome. It's a real term in sport where people do well in one year and they think, okay, we'll just maintain that, right? I want to encourage people um, to go and look up a speech by Mike Tomlin. And it's, uh, again, he, he appeals to me because my father used to say this so much to me. Is So my father's big on standards, right? But Mike Tomlin used the term my father used to use. I couldn't believe it. But my father was all about reasonable expectations, right is so my father always used to say he doesn't care what other children have as expectations in their family but he used to say in a family where you've got this and this and this here is a reasonable expectation it's reasonable that you clean your own room it's a reasonable expectation that you do the chores that you pick to do when you say you're going to do them you know it's in in his mind although it wasn't I, i wasn't that guy my sister was but it's a reasonable expectation to expect an A report card. I was, I've never been near that. Now, do not. <laughs> my sister, straight A's. Just like Stella. But in his mind, and he would use this exact term. It's a reasonable expectation. Right? It's a reasonable expectation, I think. It's a reasonable expectation to think Arsenal are going to struggle. Well, you've got to have reasonable expectations. If you're Man United, you've got to have reasonable expectations. And Chelsea, it's reasonable to go, we've been successful in the last 15 years, we'll continue to be successful, building on that, because it's in the DNA of the club. 
Liverpool and Man City are the only places where it's been it's been it would have been an absolute disaster if he'd gone there. Because those are the clubs. Don't look at the last decade of of Premier League winners. They all come from there. Nobody else. Nobody else is in the picture. Listen, 10 years is a long time. 10 years is a long time. That's a third of the Premier League's existence. And it's been three clubs. And even Liverpool are lukewarm. But but they're proper now. They're humming. People want to be there. Sapozlai is there. You've seen that. People want to join uh, that revolution. It's a great club. You know. So that's where you want to be. And for me, if Mason Mount had gone there as a Chelsea fan, because then he would have been successful. Then he's guaranteed. You are guaranteed. If you go to Liverpool and Man City right now, you're going to be so close in the mix. You're going to be playing great football. You're going to be at a romantic club. You're going to be on TV. Nobody, not even Man United fans, think they're going to be in the top four next season. Do they? Maybe, maybe they do. Uh, but it's not a reasonable expectation. I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect Eric Ten, Eric Ten Hag to be top four next year. But whatever. It's not for me to say. All I can say is it's the best place to send Mason Mount. I want to finish off on this. Um, I think fans need to learn it's a new time. There was a time when players weren't about the brand. They were The manager was the boss and players cared about the football club and had a connection with the fans. It's changed now. It's a business now. Players have agents. They have PR people. Um, they set up meetings to meet fans. You don't just run into them at the pub anymore. It's a very different dynamic. It's a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Players are looking at, if they look after themselves, tens and hundreds of millions of euros and pounds that they can make in their career. So it's become very clinical. We love our club. They do not. Players care about themselves. They are the brand. They are the business. And they care about money. And fair enough, it's become a job. It's no longer something that they love, that they are good at. It's something that they are good at, that they can earn lots of money with. It is Economics 101. right? People want to earn lots of money. Who wouldn't want a 0.01 percentile income right? that you can make in 10 years and live for the rest of your life like a god? That's what they are now. These players are businessmen, and rightfully so. It is, it is arguably the biggest business in the world outside of Hollywood and the NFL in terms of entertainment. So these guys are at work, you know, and don't make the anomaly the rule. You'll get a Maldini every now and then. You'll get a Roy Keane every now and then. You'll get a Mark Noble every now and then. But these new kids, you know, one thing I will say about the new generation, which I think is good and bad, they're not loyal. These new kids aren't loyal. They're not big on loyalty. They want new experiences. They have more options. They have more opinions. Remember back in the day, players didn't really have that opinion. It was frowned upon. What would the fans say? What would people say? These young kids don't care now, man. They'll tell you about mental health and my happy space. And like Mason Mount's from a different generation. He's, he doesn't care about Chelsea. So I'll move on. He wants a new experience. And, and also, you, you know, we live in a very me, me, me generation, which, by the way, I, I respect. Mason Mount goes, I want to do what's best for me. I want to get, I want to, because it's not about success. That's one thing that Mason Mount's telling me. What it's about is about, I want the most money and I want the most recognition. Fair enough. I think fair enough. If you're Mason Mount and you felt Chelsea weren't giving you the recognition and the income you feel you deserve, all the reports that have come out, fair income. And it's time for fans to realize that it is a new time. Players love money and themselves more than any club. Because it's just like you and I 
It doesn't matter how much you love your boss, how much you love your work colleagues. If somebody doubles your wage somewhere else, you're out of here. Unless you're a very special person and and you just believe in the process. But most of us tell me you're going to double my wage. I'm sorry. I've worked with some people I love. Double my wage. I've I've already packed my bags. I've already packed my bags. But on the Mason Mount front, I, I think it's a very confusing option for him to force his way out to Manchester United. As I said, I, I would get it if you were going to Real Madrid, if you were going to Bayern Munich, if you were going to, uh, within the British sense, I would get it if you're going to Man City and Liverpool. I do not get Manchester United. He, he cannot claim football reasons and then say Man United. Like, come on. But if he's clever, it's the biggest brand in the world. You're going to get in front of the American audience. What does that mean income-wise? I mean, you always see him in the holidays. He's in America. He's doing big things with Disney. Um, I was checking out his Instagram. So, so I understand it from a business mount sense, from a football sense. It's a very, very confusing thing. It's a very, very confusing thing. And I think he got the PR wrong. And it's, by the way, I'm okay with Mason Mount moving for money. Right? I'm not, I, like, as a Chelsea fan, I was a little bit hurt. I'm a football romantic. But I started to think about it and I thought, this is not about football success. Like, if Mount's smart enough, he knows Man United aren't winning anything of, of note in the next five, six years. By that time, he's 29. And we don't know what United are looking like and we don't know what Newcastle are doing. And you, you know this Chelsea Chelsea guys aren't going to stop spending. They are locked in by Roman Abramovich's agreement to keep investing in the club and a new stadium. We don't know what Tottenham's going to look like then. They're going to spend. So from a professional sense, I think it's a horrendous move. From a financial business point, creme de la creme, 10 out of 10, biggest brand in the world, get yourself in front of a global audience, make yourself one of the biggest names in the world. And I see he's taken number seven. Man United, congratulations. You have a brand new number seven. Love to know what you think. Love to know what you think. Mason Mount. Remember, you can't make people love you. If you're a Chelsea fan, it hurt me, but you can't make people love you. There's nothing you can buy them. Once their heart is gone, their heart is gone. And it's cool. The nice thing about being a Chelsea fan is I like Mason Mount, but Chelsea have moved on from Lampard, from Czech, from Terry, from De Bruyne, from Salah, from all these people and continued to churn out big trophies. Outside of Man City, there is no place to be like Chelsea in the last two decades. And, you know, they say the best way to predict uh, future behavior is to look at the past. What does the last decade tell you? It tells you Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool maybe in third place, depending on where the Jurgen revolution goes. MKT inspires. Slide in the DMs your thoughts. Um, if you're a Chelsea fan, Mason Mount. If you're a Man United fan, are you happy to have Mason Mount? Um, where does he fit into your midfield three? Uh, does this mean McTominay and Fred are gone? Uh, can you rotate them? Do you need both McTominay and Fred? Can McTominay maybe play uh, in at centre-back as a rotation option? Because we know Varane's um, injury-prone. How does your midfield dynamic work? Love to know what Man United fans think. And by the way... I've had a few requests to what do I think of transfers. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait for the for all of the big transfers to happen. And I would say 
in about two, three weeks time, I will start to analyze uh, sort of that maybe, let's say top six, top seven, the big six, big seven. And I will give you my grading on who I think will will win uh, the league or, or how teams will do. I, I won't do my season predictions yet. There's just too much um, to shake up. I'll do that closer to the season. But what I will do is I will analyze the squads um, in terms of just breaking them down in terms of uh, midfield or, or defense midfield and up front and, and, and analyzing who's really elite, who's got the right dynamics. So I'll get into some more analytical football stuff um, because, believe it or not, I do know football. I did play it and I feel good about that. I feel good about having to repeat that every now and then. Sometimes people think I'm just yapping. But from the age of six until 25, it was my life. There's very little about football that I don't understand. And I'm, I'm quite happy to say that and be brash about it. All right, let's move on. Uh, Kylian Mbappe. The Mbappe deal. Man, this is getting weird. It's getting weird. Um, they came out today. They said it's been. it was a shock to PSG that Mbappe, Mbappe wants to leave at all. But he's certainly not leaving for free. And Mbappe saying he's not leaving. Shout out Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm not leaving. Um, not a great film, by the way. Uh, overrated. But it, anyway. Kylian Mbappe. You know what I don't like, eh? Hey? And in fact, not even I don't like. I refuse to have it in my life is high-maintenance people. I, I I despise needy, high-maintenance people. I just will not have them. I will not tolerate them in my life. It, it's... I, I will not abide chaos in my life, in my personal life. At work, fine, whatever. There's nothing I can do about that. In my family, fine. There's nothing I can do. You can't choose your family. Uh, and even then, um, I'm quite good at cutting that off and have done. But I despise high-maintenance people. They are just... They deplorable to me. Life, life. No, no one's life's that hard, right? But one thing that I've realized in my life, as I get as I get on, and and perhaps you're seeing it in your life as well. If you're young, it's quite difficult to see because it seems quite sexy and select. You, you know, it's quite saucy if someone's personal life is loud. But nobody with a noisy personal life that I know has been great. Now, I'm not saying there isn't stuff going on in everyone's personal lives, but I'm saying when it's noisy, right? When, when your wife or girlfriend in public places starts calling you names, starts rolling their eyes when you're talking, then, you, then we've got a problem. And once that gets out, once your children speak badly about you, once, once your personal life's noisy, I don't know any of the people, and I can only, again, use my own life, people that have been extremely successful that are around me where their personal life is on the streets and it's loud it's noisy they're telling everyone because right? great people take control and in the sporting sense think of it this way right i'll say some names uh gaza maradona cantona and to an extent paul pogba now pogba shouldn't be mentioned in the same sentence and breath as those guys but paul gascoigne maradona cantona and pogba you, you, you know what they've all got doesn't it feel like they all left something on the table? It's like they're greater on social media and in, in like throwbacks than actually in real life. Like if you go look at Gascoigne and Maradona and Cantona's career, it's it's actually not great careers. They, they had very, very good careers. They were special players. It's probably the Ben Stokes effect, right? Is They were special players. Their ability was insane. 
But when you take the full body of work and you analyze it properly, Gaza, Maradona, Cantona, Pogba, they've all left so much on the table. And what do they all have in common? Noisy business negotiations, noisy personal life. No, that doesn't work. It's too difficult in team environments if you're always the needy person. Because one of the things about successful people, right, is they like people that take, just do your job. It's a reasonable expectation for you to just do your job no matter how great you are. And those guys, Gaza, Maradona, Cantona, Pogba, at some stage it's just like, ugh, again, again. You know, it's a production tolerance world, but even the Argentines eventually with Maradona, just like, oh my God. All right, like, it's too much. Barcelona lasted, what, two years? Get him out of here. Get him out of here. We're not doing that here. We've had Johan Cruyff here. Any club that signs Kylian Mbappe, right, needs to be very, very careful. Because, you know, it's sort of like someone who cheats with somebody and they think, oh, they'll change when they're with me. Or you, somebody's a big drinker with someone else and you go, if only I could just make her my girlfriend. And then you complain that they drink too much once they're in-house. That's who they are. And people don't change, by the way. Whoever signs Kylian Mbappe needs to be very careful because people don't change, right? It was a mess when he left Monaco. He lied to Real Madrid and jilted them at the last minute where Macron, I mean, the president of France is getting involved now. And it's, it's ugly and noisy now. Kylian Mbappe is 25 in December, so he's 24 years old now. He's not young anymore. He's not young anymore. So what's the benefit? Because he's not Cristiano Ronaldo, who at 23 was the Ballon d'Or uh, and the, the only one who's ever come out of the Premier League. And he's certainly not Leo Messi on the pitch. He's not giving you Gert Muller numbers on the pitch. Right? He's not even Erling Haaland. And folks, the one thing about life, particularly in sports, and you're seeing it now with like Mason Greenwood and these guys, right? It's a production tolerance world. It's not about morality. Mason Greenwood, that situation, and I'm not comparing Buppy to Mason Greenwood. What I'm saying is, I want to make the, ex the most extreme example, is that no matter what you do in society, how you conduct yourself, right? And this happens in our lives, by the way. There are CEOs and people out there where I know stories. I'm like, oh my God. But they keep him or her because it's a production tolerant world. That is capitalism. They will tolerate you until they can replace you. And in terms of Mason Greenwood, it doesn't matter what you feel about him, right? The ghastly things he's done. It doesn't matter. In football, I've been in that world. How good are you? And that's how much they'll protect you. Because Mason Greenwood is a generational player. I don't care what you say. Just the football side of it. Right? Kylian Mbappe is giving me generational stuff to put up with. It's, it's getting out of hand now. But I'm not sure his football ability matches up to that. So remember with production versus tolerance. Tolerance must never ever, it will never ever exceed production. They will tolerate you while you're producing more than we have to tolerate. Kylian Mbappe is getting too much now. And he's he's just not Erling Haaland. So why would you sign him? 
I said it with Pogba, right? Noisy doesn't win. Not in modern day football. Might have been fine to be a big drinker in the 90s. Not now. You're a corporate product now. We know everything now. You can't hide now. And if it's noisy, it's a distraction from the team because it's complicated enough trying to win. Do you know how hard winning is? Like, I think some people don't realize how hard winning is. It's so difficult. Having people like Kylian Mbappe being a distraction to the team because that's one thing top-level people hate. You look at Pep Guardiola, you look at the great uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, one, what are they good at? David Beckham, you're becoming a, a spice boy. Get out of here. Ruud van Nistelrooy, at your peak, you think you're too good. Get out of here. Jobstam wants more money and he thinks he's bigger than the team. Get him out of here. Cristiano Ronaldo, I will sell you next year on my clock. But you're also starting to get too big for your boots. Get out of here. Fergie was brilliant at that. Pep is brilliant at that. Zlatan, one season. Okay, you think you're bigger than us? You're not going to drive the team cars? Get out. Samuel Eto, you're getting an attitude. Get out. Yaya Toure, attitude. Get out. People at that level will not tolerate noise because it's too difficult to win. They need people that are on board. It's just how it is. It's just how it is. Unless you're Leo Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo and even their greatness is what? Super quiet. Team guys. Right? The great thing about Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi is they're team guys. You never hear them talking out of place and their business is tight. They run it like a corporate organization and you never hear anything negative about them because they're team guys. They keep it about football. Cristiano Ronaldo, whatever you think of him, right? it doesn't matter to me what you think of him. He's a team guy. He's a team first guy. Leo Messi, team first. I'm on the pitch. I'm passing to my players. Cristiano Ronaldo is passing to his teammates, getting in position. He's the fittest guy. Everything you want is Cristiano Ronaldo. Tick, 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 tick. Right? Vincent Company, team guy. Tick, 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 tick. Roy Keane, team guy. All of these guys. Think of the greats. Maldini, team guy. Team, team, team first. Team first, team first, team first. Doesn't matter how great you are. And I'm not sure... Um, Kylian Mbappe is that it's getting too noisy now noisy doesn't win and you know what worries me there's a similarity to Paul Pogba and I remember if you listen to the show about 3-4 years ago whenever it was when Pogba moved from Juventus I said uh, I think I was working with Senzo and Paolo then and I said to them it's not going to work right purely because it's just too noisy with Paul Pogba and it's always something because you know what that tells me is that person's not focused on football. I don't think Kylian Mbappe is focused on football. There, there, there's a lot more going on there than we're being uh, led to believe. It's come out of Pogba, I was right, but I'm seeing the same behavior with Kylian Mbappe. I don't think Real Madrid are going to assign him. People, people think it's a straight thing to Real Madrid. Real Madrid, for all the show, um, the Florentino Perez is all about football. The only way to sell guys is What's happening on the pitch? Honestly speaking, I don't know if Kylian Mbappe is better than Vinicius. I think it's tight. You can argue with your uncle. What's clear to me is I was right four years ago when I said Erling Haaland is the next face of football. It's buttoned up. It's clean. And I can see the man's into football. There's no noise. Keep the noise down. There is no noise from Erling Haaland. 
And it's very, very sad what's happening to Kylian Mbappe because I've seen this before. I've seen Ravel Morrison. I've seen Paul Pogba. I've seen Maria Balotelli. I've seen this before. Now, he's, he's, ta- he's more talented than those other ones, but ultimately, your talent is only going to... It's only so interesting. There's a new superstar. There's PR teams. We have social media now. They, we can create a new superstar without you. He's 25 now, folks. Don't tell me he's young and he's a child. He's not. It's problematic and it's loud and it's noisy and big teams hate that. If there's one thing I know about football teams and coaches in particular. They absolutely despise noise. They despise it. So I think that the, that is sad. What's happening to Mbappe is sad. And I think, if anything, he's cost himself a Ballon d'Or. I think it's too late now. It'd be interesting to me to see which team takes him on. And quite frankly, let's be honest, I think the only team that can afford him is probably Manchester City. Maybe Newcastle. If Newcastle make the Champions League next season, they can afford it. So he's at Newcastle, he's at Man City next year. But it's becoming too much now. Needy people are not attractive. Successful people don't like needy people. Do your job. And one of the things about being a marquee player is you need to do your job and more. Now, if I'm having to constantly do a PR thing, it's a Paul Pogba situation again. The Pogba thing was never going to work. And Mbappe isn't either. It's sad, but it's over. He's 25 now, folks. He's not young anymore. At this age, Cristiano Ronaldo was two seasons out from winning a Ballon d'Or. He was on to his next Ballon d'Or at the age of 25, going into 26. Mbappe's not that. He's not that football ability. He And he's injury prone now. So, we'll see. But I don't think it's going to work. And I would be horrified if Chelsea got near him because I don't like it I don't like noisy and he's not good enough if he was giving me 50-60 goals in the in, in uh, Paris a year in all competitions if I was getting that those Ronaldo Gerd Muller numbers okay then we're having a conversation because it's a production tolerance thing right so with Erling Haaland I get no noise no problems and I'm getting record breaking numbers let's get in that business I'm in that business. I'm absolutely in that business. Victor Osiman. Big numbers. No noise. I'm in that business. I'm all in that business. Very, very worrying. All right. Um, if you do have a second, you've got two minutes, uh, please go give the show a rating. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, I'm going to do your mailbag quickly. All right. Let's get into the mailbag. Uh, Brett Duplessis, Brett Duplessis said, um, "Who? Uh, what is the best 15 that the Springboks can pick right now? So I'll quickly run through it um, and talk through it. So I won't really get into it. If, you, if you'd like maybe more rugby stuff, let me know. Um, I, I love rugby, by the way. I watch a lot of it. I watch a lot of sport, hey? I watch a lot of rugby. been watching it my whole life since I was six. I was at the World Cup final in, in 1995. So I'm big time rugby. It's big in the Corsa community. I grew up on rugby. So let's get into it. Um, The best 15. Uh, Brett Duplessis said, if I could pick my best 15 right now for the Springboks, who would it be? Uh, it's Vili LaRue at fullback. Cheslin Colby at, fifth, at 14. Um, Lukanyo Am at 13. If fit, Dialande, although not my favorite player, but he's he's in the system now and he he's solid. 
for for what the Springboks need at 12. I would still pick my Pimpi at 11. I like a defensive uh, left winger, and my Pimpi is still the most solid uh, left winger in South Africa. Number 10, it's Pollard. I think he's the best fly half in the world. I think he's the best fly half of this generation, actually, uh, when you look at his overall game in terms of tactical kicking, uh, points kicking, and maturity. Uh, I really, really like how low ego he is uh, as a fly half, which is what Daniel Carter and the great Johnny Wilkinson had. At nine, I would go Faf Duplessis. I think uh, Faf Duplessis, uh, <laughs> Faf de Klerk. I think he's still the best um, tactical kicking nine we've got, and that's important with the pressure game that the box like to play. We don't need a Justin Marshall or a Byron Kelleher uh, or, or a George Gregan type who's passing it from the base. We need somebody who's going to stay disciplined, stick to the plan, and have accuracy off the box kick. And I think Faf is still the best for that. Uh, moving into the pack. Um, by the way, this is my starting pack. Like, presume everyone's fit. Th- this is what I would go with, even if... Um, one particular individual was fit. I, this is the team I'd go with. I'd go eight, uh, Dwayne Vermeulen. I, th- I still think he is the best number eight um, in South Africa. And ultimately, he's your fetcher. Remember, Dwayne Vermeulen started as a blindside or an open side flanker in the nine, number six jumper when he, he was playing provincial rugby for the Stormers uh, and then early on uh, the the Cheetahs. So Dwayne Vermeulen as your fetcher at eight. Uh, Peter Steftatoy is still your a brilliant third line-out option. Of course, started as a lock and the work rate's insane and he's just an absolute machine. So blindside, a crucial position, um, of course, with Maul and uh, and ball carry, right? That, that's massive. And he's just a freak athlete. So Peter Steph Tatoy, uh, and he puts the hammer down. Now, at number six, even if Sia Colisi was fit, I would play Jasper Visa. He's a better rugby player. Now, people get pity about this one but i just think jasper visa is a better egg player than siakulisi now siakulisi is very good he's a he's he's good for the country uh for where the consciousness of south africa is i agree i think it's important to have him in the mix but i just don't think he's as good a player as jasper visa and you don't need the springboks don't play a classic open sider like sam kane right you, you don't need an, a, a fetcher number six in south africa doesn't matter we don't play that style you've got um You've got Dwayne Vermeule and your hooker as your fetcher in Springbok Rugby anyway. And we've got two fetching hookers. So, you know, your number six needs to be a ball hawk. And one thing Sia is brilliant at is protecting our ball, actually. He's a ball hawk for our ball and cross cover, right? So that's where Sia uh, comes in handy. And then he's a tremendous ball carrier. We bring physicality. Uh, we've got hybrid loose forwards, right? So for me, Jasper Visser is one of the most deadly ball runners alive. He's brilliant um, at the breakdown. Absolutely, the physicality at the breakdown, his technique at the breakdown. So you're not losing anything there, and he's just a magnificent athlete um, and 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 clever. He's a clever rugby player as well, and a better athlete than Sia, to be honest with you. So I would play Jasper Visa, Lutiacher, uh, and um, Arke Sneeman. I think I think Arke Sneeman's cleverer uh, than Eben. I love Eben Elizabeth, but I think Arke Sneeman has been is a better rugby player. I just, I, I do think he is. Um, he took a slightly different direction in his career, chased the money when he realized that, hey, Yebin's going to get the jersey. And fair enough. But I think he's a better player. He's cleverer uh, and better in the lineout. The nice thing about Erges Neman is you can lift him in the lineout. Yebin's tough to lift in the lineout. Eh? Um, but great to have both options. I just, I've always preferred Erges Neman. I've loved him. I, I see him as a sort of a loose forward um, in that number four jumper. And then Malerba um, and then Bongi Bonambi. 
I pick Mbonambi over Marks because at test level. So in Super Rugby or uh, URC, I would pick Marks. But at test level, I like a guy who can throw in the lineout. And Marks still has lineout problems. Now, I know it's gotten a lot better. It's gotten a lot better. Um, but the thing about Malcolm Marks, when you don't, um, when you play him, because he's, for those who don't know, he played flank in high school at Cares. So he's not a, a, a sort of thoroughbred hooker. He can't throw a six ball. So he limits you to a two or a four ball. And that six is like every now and then. Bongi is a classic hooker who gives you and by the way so some people may not quite get why you need to throw a six or an eight ball very rarely do you throw an eight ball anymore um you, you sort of have a four and a half or a six right to the back of the line out is the reason you throw to the back of the line out is to get width on your play right and although the Springboks don't play sort of that running rugby but the width on your play is important even with your first up runners because you need to be able to set things up in the middle of the field. So the closer you can get to the middle of the field, so Faf can pass it to, it may be your first run, it may be a flank, it may be a hook or prop, whoever, is that you want to have that first hit as close to the middle of the field as possible so you set up both sides of the field. So a six ball is so much more, right, than just an attacking platform, right? When you can throw the six, uh, number one, it's it's easier to maul from there because they they generally thinner on um, defense. Although generally people like to maul the two or the four ball. Generally the two is a defensive maul, and they generally set up for that. The four's a slightly better place to maul from. You can maul from six, then then we're talking because then they really need to organize themselves and come round. But what's important is to get the width on the play. If you want to get width on play and set up the middle of the field, so if you if you like rugby and maybe you haven't, and again, I'm really, really lucky I had high-level coaching. I didn't understand these things until matric and I had the great Murray Mexted and, and um, Grant Fox, who, who, who was our coach. Um, if you don't know them, New Zealand legends in high school. Anyway, th they sort of would really map out the rugby field for us. And the sixth ball is so crucial at that level um, off the set piece. So that's why I pick Mbonambia. Then uh, Spicy Plum for me would start at number one. Love to hear what you think um, at MKT Inspire. So it's 15, Villilaru, Cheslin, Colby at right wing. Um, it is Dialende, or um, uh, Lucanio Am at 13, Dialende at 12, Mapimpi at 11, Pollard at 10, Faf at 9, 8 is Dwayne Vermeulen, 7 is Peter Steph de Toy, um, Jasper Visa for me would be in the 6th jumper, Luat Diacha, Erges Neyman, Malherba, Bongin Bonambi, and Kitsov. And then my captain would be Dwayne Formula. Simple as that. You can let me know what you think. There you go, Brett. All right, move on to the next question here. Um, I will answer this one from Lufente. Lufente. I won't give her a surname, but she asks, um, I have another question for tomorrow's podcast. So she obviously sent this message yesterday. Do you think and feel as though you have found your life's purpose? If so, I would imagine one would have a sense of fulfillment. If that is the case, my follow-up question would be, what is your remaining will to live? I would say that's quite an easy answer. I don't think I found my life's purpose. Um, and philosophically, I always debate whether life has purpose at all, uh, but beyond the proliferation 
of the species. But my personal life's purpose, and I do like to think about it in this context, no, I do not um, think I found that. Do I Have I find, found what I like to do? Yes. It's to be in and around sport, and I would like that to be the way I make my living for the rest of my life. Hopefully in this sense, doing broadcasting, but if not, whatever way, production, documentaries, whatever it may be. As long as I'm around sports women uh, and sports men, I'm very, very happy. Um, in terms of the life's purpose, I'll tell you what the most important things are to me in life, right? And I'm certainly not where I want to be with that. So the two most important things and the only thing that occupy my life right now. Um, I don't have kids. I don't have a family. But being a good son or being a great son is something I'm working on because it's not great. Uh, I'm not very great at that. But that means a myriad of things. Um, maybe not the podcast to go over it. Maybe I'll, I'll do another one. But that is the most important thing to me in the world right now is to be the son my mother raised me to be. Um, and then second is I want to be the best brother in the world. Those are the only two things that are important to me. Nothing else is important to me, not even my friendships. Because when I think of being a, my, my mother's philosophy and how she raised me and what my sister's like as a character, if I do those things for my family, my friends will be fine because I will hold the same ethos for them. So I don't need to think about my friendships because then the behavior that I'm displaying to to my family would carry over into my friendship. So I would say those are the only things that are important to me. Being the great, greatest son I can be to my mother. I want to be a world-class son. I'm working really, really hard on that. I've uh, yeah, I've not been so good over the last uh, decade or so. No more ever in my life. But I, I'm, I'm really, really working hard on making sure that bond is strong. Um, yeah, working hard to keep the connection, uh, the communication open there. That, that's really, really important to me. Um, as as my mother ages as well, you know, as I age and, and as my mother ages, there's certain ambitions that she had for me um, as, a, as a human being that I I would like to start living out, start being the man that she raised me to be. And I feel like I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, and then my hero is my sister, you know, um, one thing that's important. And, and th this is moving to a close tie <laughs> and... But being a better brother um, is something which I, I definitely need to work on. And that is a life purpose for me. My purpose is my sister's my hero. I would love to have the bond that I dream about with her through, yeah, just being close to her, seeing her more, um, communication better, ensuring that I'm there for her more. You know, she's quite an independent person, but if, if ever needed, um, that's really, really important to me. So that's my life's purpose. And um and I mean, that that's a lifetime uh, endeavor, right? So that is my will to live, is that that's a lifetime endeavor. These people that have done so much for me. I mean, I, I just, I can't express to you what my mom and my, and my sister have done for me in the full human spectrum, by the way. I'm not just talking about helping me when I was down, but just just being so selfless. They are the most selfless human beings I've ever met and you know to have that in my life's crazy so so now it's also not a thing so I don't believe in my words being you know like oh wow that sounds so cool is I have to behave that consistently and it's not something I want credit for the only credit I can I would want is them 
acknowledging it privately you know it's not something that i would ever put on social media but that is my life's purpose and it's a lifetime endeavor you know i would like to be the best brother in the world is a lifetime endeavor because i know what my sister's like as a human being if i if that carried over to me having a girlfriend a wife and a family and i carried the ethos i carry for them you know because i make lists as well you know i have sort of five life principles that i want to approach my mother with the five life principles for my sister uh, that I so I'm the kind of person who writes the stuff down I'm quite obsessive um, and that that is that is what drives me to live you know um, to to work with these people and to live up to their standards and be inspired by them because they're very inspirational humans I mean I often talk about my family but my my, my mother father and sister are, are extremely inspirational people for me you know some people are more successful than my family They're, so my family might not be successful or, or impressive to you you know but to me as human beings outside of their professional and academic success just as human beings uh, my mom and my sister are my absolute heroes my sister in particular so that is my lifetime endeavor and that 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 is my will to live you know hopefully one day my sister will have a family and perhaps i may have a family if she has a family um I'm fully intent on wherever, if she has kids, I will probably move closer. She lives in Paris now, so I would probably move to Europe because I don't want to be uncle. I, I, you know, I don't want to be uncle on the other side of the world. I want to be close to my sister, number one, and to her family and be classical uncle in the mix there. You, you know, um, I love that. I absolutely look forward to that. And I look forward to creating more memories with my mother for for the foreseeable future 20 years or so hopefully she lives till 90 i don't know how old she is now 1955 how old would that make her uh 60 she's turning 60 70 70 i think she's gonna be 70 soon so yeah i don't know if that answers your question the what is your remaining will to live yeah to to be with those people that is my my will to live and who knows maybe i have a family one day and also, I mean, I've, I'd like to think I've, I'd like to nourish some friendships, but the, the, my only focus right now is on my family. Like my mom, my sister is the only focus. I'm, I'm just not focused on anything else. And they are my will to live, you know, the chasing those endeavors. So hopefully, Lufense, that answers your question. If not, I guess you'll slide in the DMs. If you'd like a question answered, slide in the DMs. Slide in the DMs. No nudes. I got it. <laughs> Jeez, if I tell you some of the things I get in my DMs, eh? I, I, I can only imagine what footballers are dealing with. But whatever, you know, if you're going to work in public, them, them thoughts are going to get you. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is MKT. This has been the MKT Show. For now, I am the hell. Out of here. Thank you.